0: Well, we are over in the book of Revelation and chapter 2, picking up at verse 1. We're just going through the first church here, the church of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. In uh, verse 1, it reads, to the angel of the church of Ephesus right? these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly, and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Well, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, of course, that word angel does not necessarily mean angelic being, it means messenger. The messenger of the church of angel, of the the church of Ephesus would be the bishop or the pastor, whoever is over that particular church, that is who the Lord is speaking to. We talked about that some before, that many times people want to come into a church and they want to become its voice of God. Uh, And they'll go up to different people and they'll say, well, you know, the pastor doesn't believe this, the pastor doesn't want to do this, but I have heard from God. And that is wrong. When God speaks to a church, he goes through the messenger. If the messenger is not doing what he's supposed to do, what do you think the Lord of that messenger would do? He removes them. And that's what he does. That's what he talks about doing here. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. We first saw this back in chapter 1 and verse 13 when it talked about the seven stars. In fact, if you want, pull that back up on the screen. Revelations chapter 1 and verse 13. Let's just read those verses, a few verses here. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, he, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. It's the first time we see the seven stars show up in his right hand, and I asked Daryl to pull up a picture for us, if you have that ready. Put that up there on the screen. This is something that John, when he was... Uh, around, he was under the the awful uh, reign of Domitian, and Domitian had a son who died early, and he made a coin in his memory, and this is the image he put on the coin, that is Domitian's son in the center. He is sitting on a globe or a sphere, and you'll notice there that there are six stars, most of the coins have seven This is one of the rare ones, but this is the one I was able to get a picture of. But it specifically says this is a rare one. This has six. Somehow the one fell off or it was not carved in or whatever it was. But most of them have seven stars. So when Jesus gives John the image of Jesus with seven stars in his hand, what do you think would come to mind for John? This guy right here. He is not the Lord. Domitian did this because what he was trying to do was to say, and Domitian believed he was God. He believed that his son was uh, the one who was in charge of all spiritual things. Were going on, and so that's why he made this coin to t- tell people, "My son is in charge of those things, and therefore I am God, and he's up there helping me out." He made a few other images. If you ever want to Google this thing, you can take a look at some of the coins that Domitian uh, coined, <laughs> they made it up, and you will see some interesting images and what he thought of himself as deity and also his son. So, the, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your patience. What's interesting about these three words is that they carry the definite article. He is not talking about just, you know, everybody's works, everybody's patience everybody's uh, labor, so forth. He says, I know your works in particular. That's why it says your works. That's why it's interpreted that way. He says, I know your works. I know your patience. I know your labor. He is talking very specifically about this particular church. He says here, I know. The word is oida. We've covered that one before. This is not ginosko, which is to come by knowledge, by experience. This is absolute knowledge, firsthand knowledge, knowledge that is gained by you seeing it, not reported to you, but you seeing it. What this means is that Jesus has been out and about, walking among the churches. Go back over here to verse uh, 1. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. The word there for walks is a word and I'm not going to break it down for you but if you want to you can go into the Greek and break it down yourself or there's a whole lot of stuff out there that, that does this but what it's talking about is walking around in circles it's walking it uses the word peri to walk around to be circumvent to, to walk around a thing he has been in the church of Ephesus and he has been walking around observing and so when he says, I, Oida, I know with absolute knowledge, he is saying, I have walked in your midst, and I know firsthand your works, your labor, and your patience. Because he has seen it. And he says, I have a message for you. Now, they may be saying to themselves, well, when did you come? We didn't see you. <laughs> we didn't see you coming. If we would have seen you come in, we would have you know, done some things. And Jesus has walked amongst churches, and they never knew. I know your works, your your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. He says here that, um, well, I, I guess I didn't fill that blank for you. But in the midst there, Jesus was there. He was there. Now the golden, let me go back to this one. The golden lampstands represent, gold represents three things in the Word of God. First off is value. We can all see that. Gold is valuable and it shows value. He's calling these churches golden lamp stands. That's the church. That's not the pastor of the church. That's the church itself. They have a value. We know that Jesus assigns value to the church because of the parable that Jesus gave us with the pearl and the treasure, that he sees them as value. Number two is deity. It is used constantly in the Old Testament to show the deity of God when gold is used. There are certain times when gold was used. There are certain times when bronze was used. Bronze was not gold. It gave the appearance of gold, but it was not gold. Gold represents deity. It also represented God's glory. So these are three things that the gold represented. Now, one more thing about this church. We have seven churches that are... or seven letters to the churches. It is estimated that each of the cities in this region had at least one church. Some estimates put them at two. Which would mean that there are anywhere from 500 to 1,000 churches in the region. That's a lot of churches, but he pulls out seven and gives this message to John. And these, the message to these seven churches churches—carry down to all of us because there's an importance. There's something that we need to learn from them. So seven are singled out for a timeless message. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. The word here for labor is the Greek word kapas, which means toil as reducing the strength, pains, labor, plus trouble and weariness. Now, I just copied that right straight from Strong's. What it means is basically this, labor that results in exhaustion. Have you ever labored at something that at the end of it you are exhausted? It has drained you of your energy. This is the kind of labor that he says. He says, I know your labor, and he uses the word that talks about labor that brings you to the point of exhaustion. Labor that, it, that involves every bit of strength that you have to continue on. This is the kind of labor that it's talking about. So this church believed in hard work. This is a hard-working church. This is the church that went at it. This was also the largest church in the area. Some estimate its size at around 100,000 people. That's pretty good size for a church back in those, those days. It was one of the most influential Churches of the day, I've been told, I've given this years ago, but if you were to put the church of Ephesus down in the area of Southern California, its its, its influence would be felt all the way up in the state of Washington. That's a long reach, especially when there's no internet, TV, radio, and such things like that. That is a long reach for that church. This church had influence. This church was working for God. This church was converting people. This church was taking a pagan city and turning it on its heels. This church is having influence. And so this is the one he's talking about. He says, You work hard. You have labor. Labor that results in exhaustion. He then goes on and says, uh, let's, let's read it here. I know your works. And talking about general works there. I know that the things that you have done in general. The, the things that you have put yourself to. I know your labor. So we separate these two. There's general work and then there's labor. There are things that you have put your your energy to, put yourself to, that you have labored for. And he says your patience. The word here is not usually translated patience. It's usually translated more of an endurance. It is hupomene. It means to carefully or hopefully, and, uh, careful or hopeful, endurance, constancy, enduring, patience, patient continuing, or waiting. So what it means is is this, that they have been under a heavy workload and they have stayed under it. They've not moved. Despite how much uh, pressure they feel, d- despite how much they, they feel, they've been patient, they've been staying with it, they have not left it. They have stayed right around. It comes to mean... All this means comes to mean you are under a heavy labor or burden and refuse to be moved from under it. Think of it this way. Have you ever been involved in a job that was very tedious, very hard, where it wore on you? And you don't, not normally are you one who watches the clock, but you watch the clock while you were doing this because you couldn't wait for noon. You couldn't wait for break time. You couldn't wait for when is it that I can just take a little bit of a rest from this? What he's saying here is you did not look for those times. You continued on. No matter what came against you, no matter how much you felt, you continued to go on. This is something that is specific for this church, the church of Ephesus. He is not referring to churches all over the area. He is talking to this one. You are under a heavy labor, a heavy burden, and you refuse to be moved From under it. So, what exactly is this burden? What exactly is the thing that they are doing that they refuse to be removed from, but they continue to toil under? And you have, uh, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You cannot bear those who are evil. The word here for cannot went the wrong direction here. Hang on a minute. We know this, the, the word, uh, of course, it's a, a form of as dunamis. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and dunamis is inherent power. This, uh, this word here means to be able or possible plus the addition of a negative. So what it's talking about is it's, just, it's not only dunamai, but also there is a negative word put with it. The two words combine to mean that here is the ability and you don't have it. That's basically what it's saying. Here is the ability, dunamai, But you don't have it. You do not have the ability to bear those who are evil. How many have ever seen evil people? How many get it within you that you just can't stand those people? You can't bear these people. Why are these people so evil? We get mad because Ephesus is this way. But they have been under this burden of people that are evil around them, and they refuse to get out from it. Now, a lot of times, we sometimes just, you know, we've been battling evil, we battle evil, and how many know the temptation is there after a while, just say, you know what, it's just always going to be this way, just forget it, y'all, just be evil. Mm -hmm. Ephesus refused. Ephesus said, no, we will not stop this war of evil. Now, what was in the city of Ephesus? The temple of Diana. Diana. And all kinds of evil went on there. And they continued to come after it. And the people who were over this were more concerned about money than religion. Because when Paul got in there and, and messed with some of these people, uh, their, their big concern was, we're going to lose some money. Uh, some people aren't going to be buying the statues. Some people aren't going to be coming out to the, to the temple to you know, uh, purchase the services of the temple and so forth. Uh, they were concerned about money. And this is what it was. They they were not there for a religious reason. They were not there because they believed this to be the way. They were there because they got rich. That was it. We got a lot of people who do things just to just for the purpose of getting rich. We've had discussions about that. We think a lot of folks in Congress, their purpose is getting rich because they get awful rich on a uh what's not a really great salary. But they sure come out of there with millions of dollars in wealth and paid, what is it, $140,000 a year? How do you get all this wealth by being paid $140,000, especially living in Washington? That's an expensive place. Uh, and they make decisions that you just sit there and you scratch your head over. How, how do you do this? You know, we've been faced with all kinds of decisions that they've been making. We know that, tell me, all know that the White House tours were closed, people planned vacations. And they blamed it on the sequester. It's the sequester's fault. There are seven people who run the office. Seven people. The tour is not a guided tour. The tour is a recorded tour. You show up, they give you the recording, and you go on through. (laughs) That's it. Seven people run the office. They closed it down. They didn't didn't furlough them. They closed it down. However, the night after they did it, a bunch of people from Washington all went out to dinner. 20-card parade to go out to dinner. That was okay. The vacations of all these folks still being paid for. Things that you know they actually funded after the sequester. They funded to find out why gay men are not overweight, but gay women are. <laughs> $250 million after the sequester. After the sequester, we found money to send to Egypt. That was okay. But White House tours, they had to be closed you got to scratch your head at this. Now, they're paying all kinds of stuff. That one didn't work out for them. They got a lot of negative publicity on that, and that's not a uh, – they, they, they didn't handle it very well when uh, they took questions on it either. But you, you just scratch your head at some of these decisions these people make. Why are you making these things? Why are you doing things in this way? It's because, you know, they're, they're out for themselves. We, we pretty much have come to the to – the, they're not out for the people. They're out for themselves. What he's saying is, you have been surrounded in this area of people that are out for themselves. People that hurt other people. People who pull other people into sin. Evil people all around you. And evil, and it's, we're going to see this particularly, evil that is trying to get into the church. And you relentlessly fight it. No matter how... Now, and you know that anytime you come against false things that makes people money... They get mad at you and they come after you. The same tactics that we see being used now, people who can't win in the realm of ideas, simply work to sling mud and try and make you, make people think poorly about you and therefore uh, discredit your message. Well, that must have been going on back then because it's not a new tactic. We, t- we traced it through the word before, if you were back, th- back then, um, if you were around for that one. We trace it to the word. That's the thing that they do. They try and slander you as a as a person instead of combating your message because they can't combat the message. So they just need to come after you as a person is all that they try trying to do. So they came under this. People are attacking them. People are saying all manner of evil about them as they continue to try and fight this evil. That can wear you down, can't it? But they have refused to get out from under this. Nope, 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 we're staying right here. And we are fighting this. And beside that, we are going out there and we are evangelizing. We're going out there and we're winning our friends. We're winning our neighbors. We are going to pull more people in. And they continue to pull more people in. An amazing church out there, the the things they did. And you have, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. You can't bear them. You do not have the ability is what he's saying. There is the ability. Here's the word not. (laughs) Here's the power. Here's the word not. You don't have it in you to be able to do this. So he says here, your works, your labor, your basically your endurance that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. So they got people that have come on in. Says we're we're part of the church, we're following after God, we got a message, and everybody who came through the city of Ephesus, everybody that Ephesus could touch, everyone that Ephesus could affect, because their effect went far, was far reaching. They did. They were not content to just all right. Well, you're a Christian, good. That's bless you, and come on in. We'll help you. No, if they had a message, they listened. Let's let's check this out. Let's see how this measures up. No, wait a minute. This doesn't measure up to the word. Every time somebody came through, if you came through the the area of Ephesus, they checked you out. They labored hard. They worked hard because they were determined that if you were going to wear the name of Christ and preach, you were going to represent the truth. And they would not relent. No matter how much abuse no matter how much things were said about them, they continued on. Can you see the, the, the weariness that could come? But he said you wouldn't, they wouldn't relent. The message from Jesus. He's out there walking around among them. He's watching them do this. He says, ah, you're just not letting up. People are coming after you. People are trying to say, you know, stop exposing this. Stop doing But you just keep going after it. Because this is what you believe to be true. And, be, and you keep bringing them back to the word of God. How does this measure up to the Word? And you have tested those who say. You have taken those, and when they say something, you have uh, you have uh, conducted some tests on it. Let's just see how this is. Because, uh, you know, tests will reveal what something is. i got tests i got to do all the time, you know, on a saltwater tank. If you look at the water, people come in and look at the water and say, Wow, that looks clean. But I have test kits that tell me otherwise. Because there's some things I have to test for in the water, their their presence and so forth. And we're not just talking, you know, fresh water. You test for ammonia, you test for um, uh, uh, pH, a couple of other things you check check for, and that's about it. There's not a big deal. But uh, in a saltwater tank, you don't even test for ammonia because if ammonia is present, your tank's gonna be dead in a little while anyway. It won't matter. It's just uh, it's not the same kind of a of a environment that fresh water is. But there's other things out there that you'd never be able to. Phosphates, magnesium nitrates, these are all really important because they all affect carls and you can't see them. You can't see them at all. you got to check about the, the calcium because if the calcium gets too high, it affects the pH, it brings the pH down. If the pH goes down or, or begins to, to falter, there's a thing called alkalinity, which helps your pH. And you got to taste all these different things. So i got a box of test kits. And I got to bring them up every once in a while. Now, sometimes I'm really into it. Oh, great. I get to, you know, drop a little bit of this. And they're not easy test kits. I mean, every, every single one of them has anywhere from two to six elements you have to add in a certain series in the water in order to get it to work. And you have to, you know, do this for 15 seconds, do this for 10 seconds, shake, don't, sh- don't shake this one, just swirl it. And everything is, is precise. And then after that, then you compare it to a color, Go back to freshwater. No, freshwater's is boring. Oh <laughs> freshwater's is boring, and so every you got to. If you I've, there's a couple of times I've done the test, walked halfway through it, ah, oh, did it wrong, throw it out, and start a new one, and you got to start new because you need the thing to be accurate. You need to know what is the test result of this thing going to be, and because depending upon what there is in there, you need to take action on it. You need to do something to to get the thing going, so that it's not affecting your the the, the specimens that are in there in a in an adverse way. And so you, you, you go after this thing and you test it and you, you, people look at Oh, it's clean. It looks really good. doesn't matter how it looks. How does it test out? How does it test out? And this is what we have to do with the things of God. It, sometimes people come in and all kinds of neat things happen. Sometimes you can listen to somebody and they got all kinds of words for people. And, and people love words. How many of y'all have been around those big, I mean, people love words. But, you know, we've had people come through here and when people are, are giving out words to folks, that's fine. That's all good. But you don't know what happens behind the scene. I test them. I go up to some people. Sometimes I hear a word about a person and I know enough about their life to say, that's okay. That's good. That's right. Sometimes I'm thinking, I'm not sure that that is right. And I've gone up to those people. Did that bear witness with you? No, I don't think so. I, 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 did that happen to you? No, that didn't happen to me. And then I get the chance to talk to him about that. But it tells me something about what was going on there. And you have, to, you have to test these things out. Just because it looks good, just because it feels like the Spirit of God is moving, does not mean this is right. This is what Ephesus is doing. Just because it looks good doesn't mean that we shouldn't test it. We've got to test it to make sure. It might look clear. It may look sparkling. It may look spotless. But there might be something evil in the water. <laughs> And I gotta find out what it is, just like with the salt water. Stuff, I gotta find out what it is. I gotta, you know, check it out and see what's what's going on. They were doing this with people who came through. They did it relentlessly. They would not let these things just go by. This is what you you need to do. This is what they were doing. But the pressure, especially in this world, Domitian is 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 alive. He's the one who's reigning, and. It's, it's, he, is, he is evil. He is evil. And everyone after him got even worse than he did. But he was just... He's, he's crazy. He was so evil. If you like horrible things to study, you can study his life. If you don't, don't bother. Because it's a, it's a nasty thing. He was, he was just a nasty guy. But he says you test them out. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. So some people come in and say, well, I'm an apostle. Might even come in and just say, I'm a follower of God. I'm a teacher, whatever it was be. Uh, No, let's let's, let's find out. We're not going to put that title on you until we see some results. We're going to do some tests. We're going to check some things out. And that's perfectly fine to do. Because people that are of God love you to test them. Mm -hmm. And people that are not are afraid to be exposed. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now, we're not talking about just uh, misled. We're not talking about just uh, people that were deceived. We're talking about liars. And in order to be a liar, you must know a thing to be untrue. I, uh, it, it kind of bothers me a little bit, but sometimes you hear people say something they thought was true and they spoke it out and uh, and you find out, oh, that wasn't true. Oh, you caused me to lie. No, I didn't. <laughs> no one calls you to lie. You didn't lie. You spoke what you thought was true. You found out it wasn't true and then you changed what you believed. That's fine. That's not a liar. A liar is one who knows a thing to not be true and represents it as being true. That's a liar. So these people that were coming in knew something to not be true, but they tried to pass it off as being true. And he says, you tested it out. You checked it out. You found out (laughs) you're a liar. (laughs) This is not right. This is not what happened. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So again, we have these words and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. They're doing it not for themselves, not for their own glory. They are doing it to preserve the name of, of Christ because they don't want this evil stuff to be associated with Jesus. And so despite all the things that have come against them, despite the weariness, they said, No, we're going to keep going because it's for the name of Christ that we're doing this. And they continued on. That's why they did it. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Even though they are involved in a battle that they refuse to be removed from, even though they continue to labor at it and a, a labor that causes, that asks for an amount of effort that causes you to come to a place of exhaustion, he says, you have not wearied. This is Jesus who is walking among them. Watch them. Saw of the things that they did, and he says, you have not become weary. This is someone who refused to give up or to be moved. They refused to give up or to be moved. Uh, the word they're tested, I didn't give you this part of it here, uh, or tried. It means to test, endeavor, scrutinize, entice, discipline, assay, examine, go about, prove, or to try. That just comes right out of the Strong's. What it basically says about Ephesus is they had determined we are going to be a church of doctrinal purity and exhaustively checked out every single ministry that came through their gates. Every single one for the sake of Jesus. So that's some good stuff. I mean, that's some good things to be saying about your church. I'm sure any church would love to have those kind of things said. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Despite all of that, I have this against you. Now, when he says here the word, I have you, is the, the word echo. Very common word, word that is used anyway very often. But it's talking about, I possess this thing against you. I have this thing against you. This word is used when it talks about Mary and she's pregnant with child. This is the word that is used, echo. Mary was echo with child. Uh, John, remember how he was clothed with camel's hair? Same word is there. This is what he had. This is what he possessed. And so he says, nevertheless, I possess or I have this against you, that you have left your first love. How many have ever heard this thing talked about? You have left your first love. Oh, you have left your first love. That is a wrong translation. That is not what it means. The word here for left means to leave or dismiss a very slow departure. It is not a quick leaving. It is a slow departure. You gradually move away. Gradually slide away from it. This is what it's talking about. You have gradually left, and then it says there, your first love. That is not right. That is not right. They have not left their first love. What it's talking about, the word is pratos. It means foremost in time, place, order, or importance, before, beginning, best, chief, first of all, or former. What he is saying is this. Not first love, but early love. You have left your early love. What is the difference between that? How many of you, if you're, if you're married and you think back to the days when you were dating, was the love that you had in the beginning of those dating weeks and months, was it different from what you have now? and we'll say well, what we have now is deeper and so forth. But when you when you were back over there, remember the remember the days? And you know, uh you you'd talk to somebody on the phone, you'd be on the phone for an hour. <laughs> hour and a half, 2 hours on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you'd just be and you know, sometimes you you'd be over there and you'd be, you know, be fellowship, you'd be over to the other person's house and talking and 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 just being with each other, just enjoying being with each other, and not wanting to leave. And then finally, you leave, and you call afterwards to say, hey, "You know, how, did you get home okay? Everything good?" And then you're on the phone for another hour, <laughs> right? Uh, because you just couldn't wait to talk with each other. You know, just hearing the other person's voice. Now, you, now, what happens? You know, you're married for 20 years, and what happens? You okay, hon? All right, see you later. <laughs> right. <laughs> We don't have hour-long conversations on the phone anymore, do we? (laughs) Those kind of things kind of went away. away. That, That same infatuation, I mean, it's grown into a more steady, more mature love, but what he's saying is this. All right, you've grown into a steady, mature love, and it produces this kind of action where you don't become weary when you are laboring for me, when you're working for the kingdom. But you've lost some of that infatuation. You've lost some of that thing where, oh, the Word of God. Let's get into. The, let's just listen to the word of God. Oh, God's speaking to me. Oh, I need to pray. Oh, you've lost some of that infatuation with that, and that kind of has fallen away. You've lost your early love. That's what he's talking about. They haven't left their. How do you do all that other stuff and lose the love for Christ? You don't lose. That's not it. And that's not what he's saying. It's it's, it's uh, pratos. It's in time and place order. You lost your early the love you had way back in the beginning. That kind of love, the character. That's what you lost. You need to get back to it. What you got right now, this is good, is producing some stuff, but you need to get back to that spot where you, where you had that. Sometimes this happens with Christians. Where, you know, when we first get born again, we can't get enough tapes, we can't get enough CDs, we can't read enough books, we can't read enough Bible. We're reading, we're reading, we're reading, we're getting into it, and then all of a sudden, you know, ah, oh, well, you know, I don't, it's at church last week, I don't know if I need to go this week, and, well, you know, I've, I read my Bible yesterday. I don't really need to read it again today. Well, I don't really need to sit here in my bed and meditate on the Word of God. That's not. I don't really need to spend an hour in prayer. not really doing a whole lot for me. And we just kind of fall away from some of that stuff. We're laboring for God. I mean, we might be in church doing all kinds of stuff for God and teaching all kinds of people that we can and ministering and winning people over for God, but we're just not spending the time with Him we used to do. That's what He's talking about. You left your early love. You're laboring for my cause but you're not necessarily spending the time with me that you did before. You left your early love. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your early love. Slowly, gradually, you left your early love. Now, look at this. The word here, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The word, therefore, remember, is not the typical word for remember. It is a word that was actually used, I'm told, to, and I would read the word to you, but I have only have it in English, and this is not one that I can do in English. I, I, need, to, I need to see the Greek because there's some stuff going on there together that uh, If I had the Greek in front of me, I could read it, but I didn't have time to, to translate it to, to uh, transfer it over. But it means to exercise memory, to punish, also to rehearse, make mention, be mindful or remember. It is a word to describe that, that became to describe a grave, a tomb, or a sepulchre it then came to mean also a statue, a memorial, or a monument. Basically what he's saying is this, when he's using this word for remember, he says you need to go back and uncover what is buried. That early love has been buried under all kinds of things. And you need to go back and you need to uncover it. Not only do you need to uncover it, but you need to rebuild it into a monument so that it never gets covered up again. That's what he's basically saying. Not just remember. He's using a little different word here. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Jesus' message, this is amazing. Jesus' message to the largest, probably the largest church of the day, probably the most influential, the church that is so hard working for him, he classifies them as fallen, Whew. God is not impressed with largeness, he's not impressed with numbers, he's not impressed with influence, it's called, they're all okay things to have, but you also have to get in to these other things, sometimes, you know, we as churches can get so lost on numbers that we have, you know, the churches pop up, this seeker-friendly churches, you know, and 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 I'm not saying it's bad to be a seeker-friendly church. What I'm saying is if you get into the world, well, we can't necessarily preach on that. Well, we can't. That part of the Word of God, we need to stay away from this area. And we're not going to preach on these things because we offend some people. And some people might not like that. and may not come out. So we'll, we will forego teaching on these things so that more people will come and hear the rest of the Word and at least get into heaven. And, you know, we have all kinds of ways of of justifying it and, and, uh, and, and coming about it. But that's not necessarily what we need to do. There are some churches, in becoming seeker-friendly, have decided that Jesus is not the only way. And that's not necessarily what we ought to be doing. We need to stand for what the truth is. And uh, in doing so, we're going to come under a fire. We're going to be under attack. There are going to be people who don't like us. And this will uh, certainly go on. With all this stuff that's going on with gay marriage... Once they probably and they probably will get this stuff through, whether the Supreme Court decides to do anything about it or not. Eventually, they're because they just keep going at it. They keep going at it. They don't stop. Once they get anything like that through, and it's uh, mandatory that uh, gays are brought up to the same level as as uh, you know they they they've now coined a new phrase, heterosexual marriage, different from homosexual marriage. They're already they've already coined a new phrase. Because they want to get it in people's minds that marriage can be all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. There's also, I don't know if you know about this, but this one is a very silent movement that's in there. And they're actually asking that people don't publicize, that their folks don't publicize it a whole, whole lot. There is a term for it. I forget the term, but uh, when you're married to more than one person. polyamory, polyamory That's it. That's the word I couldn't get. They, uh, I, don't know if, 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 I have never watched this show. I would never want to watch this show. But there's things called uh, uh, Housewives that Get Swapped. They actually took a tea party, a Bible thumping, they, they uh, classified her as uh, wife, and swapped her with one of these polyhammer or whatever it is. And at the end of it, they uh, kicked the tea party person out. They made her out to be uh, 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 unreceptive. Not that she was. They just made her out to be this way. Unreceptive. To other people and to other things, whereas the other people, the the polyamorous ones, oh, they just are loving, they just are accepted. That's the end. Of, that's ABC, Disney, ABC. These are the ones who put this thing on, and they at the end of the show, from what I'm told, the the polyamorous ones, they are the nice ones, they're the loving ones, they're the accepting ones, they're the good ones, and these Tea Party, Bible thumping folks. That's how they classified them. I'm not classifying it that way. That's how they classified it. They are uh, unrelenting. Un, unacceptable of other people and intolerant that's a, a word that they would use and uh, and kicked her off the show yeah just we we shouldn't be going into those kind of sh- we should not be going into that format to begin with that's just not a you are just they're, they're not going to portray you as right exactly but that's what they did in, inside the, so they're already showing you know this is an acceptable but these folks oh they're already trying to do that so, But once they get these things through and they change the definition of marriage to something to accompany what, whatever they, they want to do, then anyone who preaches a message against them will be brought on the fire. And you just watch. There'll be some of these folks that will come into churches and say, we want to be married by you. And if they get they refuse, then they bring it into court. And Well, why don't you just go to a place that does marry? No, we want to be married here. And uh, it's going to be brought up and uh, there will be... There will be some. This is what's down the road. This is where where our country is going. Where our leaders are taking it. And it's not a it's not a good thing to do. Remember, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember, therefore, go back, uncover it, go back to where you were. Remember, from where you have fallen. He is calling this great church. By anyone's definition in the day, it is a great church, and he is calling them fallen. And do the first works. Go back and do the early works. The things you were doing before, go back and do them again. Go back after them. Those are the things you need to be doing. Go back and do the early works. What is it that you did in the beginning? Or else... (laughs) If God's saying or else, it's not good. (laughs) Go back and do the first works, the early works, or else I will come to you quickly. He didn't just say, I'll come to you. He says, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What he is telling us is this. If God sends us a message and tells us you need to quit that and do this and we don't listen. It don't matter how powerful we are in this world. Doesn't matter how influential we are. Doesn't matter how much we have done for his kingdom. He will come quickly. And remove the lampstand. That's to remove the church. And that church will no longer be there. That's what he's saying. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Unless you repent. Now, the word there for repent is to, it means to think differently or afterwards reconsider. It's talking about a mental decision. Too often, people look at repentance as an emotional event. They look at it on the feelings side. If we don't shed some tears, we haven't truly repented. And the Word of God has no part with tears. Have you ever thought to yourself, if you have repented before God, well, I I didn't feel tearful. I didn't feel uh, all all those feelings. I didn't feel all that remorse. I, I just, you know, decided not to do it anymore. That's what he's talking about. That is repentance. Repentance for him is to think differently. Repent means to have a change of mind, not a change of emotions. People who have a change of emotions, and a lot of times people are out there and they're crying and they're fussing and they're doing all sorts of stuff, it's because, you know, I, I, I'm still going to go out there and do it. I'm going to do it again. And they feel badly about that. I feel badly about standing here before God saying I'm not going to do this anymore and then going on out and and you know doing it right away. I put in your outline this repentance is a decision, not a feeling. Repentance is a decision. It's not a feeling. It does not matter if you you may decide I'm not going to do that anymore and still have feelings for it. It doesn't matter. What matters is I'm not going to do it. That's what he says. He's not saying that you need to necessarily feel bad about doing it. Feel that it's wrong. He doesn't talk about feelings at all. He just, just have a change of mind that, all right, God, if you said I'm not going to do this, I, I won't do it. And that's it. That's what he's talking about as far as repentance. That's what that m- word is meaning when he says repent. Unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's a strong word. He didn't say he hated the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You can hate the deeds of people without hating them. Yep. And that's what he's talking about doing here. Hate the deeds. These did the deeds these folks do, I I, just, I hate them. I hate them is what he's saying. And he says, you hate them too. You have picked up my heart on that. And you hate them as well. We talked about those, uh, the Nicolaitans not too long ago. I think over in our Timothy series and so we're not going to spend time on that again. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Where was it? it? Used to be in the Garden of Eden. It got moved. It's still around. It's not on the earth anymore. At some point, God decided to take it out of the area where it was on the earth, and he put it into the paradise of God. And it's sitting there waiting. And eventually we're going to get a chance to eat from it. But, of course, our time for doing that is not right now. We are not to live forever right now. We need to die. But he who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is a letter to the Ephesian saints. Put this in your outline too. Size and influence are not as important to God as doing and holding the things that he considers important. In order to know what those things are, we need to be in His Word on a regular basis. We need to love His Word. We need to have that infatuation with His Word where we stay in it. We continue to meditate on it. We continue to read it. We continue to to pursue after it. Ask God questions about it. Interact over the Word of God. This this needs to be something that we don't ever leave because if we leave it down the road, it's going to be bad. We may work hard. But we've lost some things that impressed God. And he wants to see us have those early feelings, that infatuation with him, with his word, the early love. That's what we need to have. Father, we thank you for the example of Ephesus, a strong, powerful church that had left some things that they shouldn't have left. They worked hard for you. They labored intensely, labored like probably no church in their day. But there were some things you had against them. And if they didn't fix them, you were going to come down. We need to understand the, rep- the importance that when you give us an instruction and say, fix that, mm-hmm. we need to fix it. Mm-hmm. We need to understand the urgency. We, are, we, we can stand all day and say, oh, but look at all these things on this side. Look at all the things that I have over here. He says, yeah, but you, you need this one over here. You need this one. You need to get this thing going. Father, we need to keep our life in the direction that you put us on. When you speak to us and say, oh, quit quit doing that. When you speak to us and say, oh, this is good, stay, stay with it. We need to listen. We need to always be having our ear open. Sometimes we can get so involved in the work of God, we don't take time to listen. We don't take time to have conversations. But the more we grow in you, the more we should be able to hear and the more we should have ears to hear. We thank you, Father, that we won't neglect listening and hearing from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.